0: The following podcast may cause severe side effects, including but not limited to severe spoiler exposure, millennial opinion insertion, and the perpetual ignorance of common sense. This narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six figure filmmakers nor professional critics, they are casually critical. <laughs> and welcome to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. Be sure to stick around at the end for our feature, Itch to Pitch, and find out how you can get involved as a part of our podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Carpenter. And I'm James Newton, your
1: co-host. Today, we're going to be talking about with TT's latest, Jojo Rabbit. Now, Daniel, in our last, well, not our last, but one of our first episodes we talked about hunt for the wilder people which is one of uh taika watiti's first feature-length films uh, i believe it came after what we do in the shadows um, and probably after boy i think was his original feature-length film but yeah. jojo rabbit i believe is his fourth or fifth uh big screen edition so daniel how are you feeling tonight
0: i um, became an unexpected fan of Taika's work, or at least an unexpected—I don't want to say fan, because I'm sure you can find more devout people out there that are experts on all of his movies. I've only oh, seen yeah. *Wilder People*, *Ragnarok*, and now *Jojo Rabbit*, uh, so I can hardly profess to be a—I can hardly profess to be a hardcore fan. But what I will say is, it has been very interesting, especially in Taika's original work now, to see a lot of reoccurring themes and a lot of reoccurring strengths. Um, there's a lot that we'll touch on in this episode that I want to touch on about those things, but I just right off the bat, this film impressed me a lot. Yeah. Um. It 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 truly takes a master to do a film like this about the content that it's about, and still done in a tasteful way. So, what do you think of this movie? Well, um, let's
1: let's do what we did with Joker and okay. just throw out a quick number rating. Uh, cause that's always fun. Okay. Uh, we're going to do it out of 10, 10 stars. So okay. are you ready?
0: Yes, I am.
1: Okay. Three, two,
0: one, one. 8.5. 8. 8. 5. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in we all the it. two times that we've done this, <sighs> see, we I was going to give synchronized. it, I was gonna. <laughs> it's official guys. It's official. Um, i i was gonna give it an eight but then i thought about what the next score would be and that would be a 7.5 and i thought 7.5 is just too low for this movie um yeah and eight is not far enough away from that for me to justify oh this is just an eight movie and so i think there's just so much there that gives it that extra zing that really i think 8.5 is an appropriate score
1: yeah agreed um I just I look back and I, I I watched you know I watched Thor Ragnarok I've watched Hunt for the Wilder People I haven't seen what they do in the shadows yet but those two movies that I've seen I can definitely see uh, what Watiti's trying to get at uh, but I think he really was able to he was really able to just be himself um, with this movie yeah uh, and I feel like there weren't, wasn't anything restraining him and part of that might be because I don't understand New Zealand culture. Cause I think that was a big thing that was reflected in wilder people that I might've missed out on. Yeah. Um, uh, and this European, this European setting is something that I can more closely relate to because of all my history classes, yeah. uh, and learning about the history of world war two and stuff like that. Um, but Daniel, I can tell you right now, there are not many critics out there that are giving it this sort of rating, uh, I'm, I'm seeing things like, oh, 6 out of 10, um, 5.5 out of 10. Why do you think that is, Daniel?
0: I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I think, um, for me at least, there wasn't, and this, this sounds very ironic considering the kind of film that this is, the kind of material it touches on. Um, yeah. There wasn't really anything about the film that really emotionally gripped me as I walked out, which is not the only thing that you need to have to be a good movie. This was a great movie. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm still trying to verbally work out in my head uh, why I haven't given it a 10 out of 10, I, I other than it just didn't feel like a 10 out of 10. Uh, the yeah. other movies I would consider a 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, that kind of class of movie. This just doesn't fall into But in terms of defending why it should be greater than a 6 out of 10, you really need to think about the nature of this film. What is this film and what is it about? And when you begin to dig deep, not only can you really appreciate the amount of work that went in, especially in Tyka's part, but also just how much worse this film could have easily been if oh, wa- yeah. one scene wasn't totally handled right. Let's look at one of these things, just one of the things Taika had to balance when doing this film. You have to have comedy versus drama because for a film mm-hmm. like this to work, you need the comedy to really sell. Otherwise, it's going to be a depressing film about World War II. There's going to be a lot of severity, a lot of heavy... Uh, I almost said heavy-handedness, sorry. A lot of just heaviness emotionally. A lot of death, yeah. as we see, a lot of just grief, stuff we're familiar with with these kind of genre films, World War II films, at least. But at the same time, you need the drama to ground the comedy, or otherwise, this will be kind of an empty movie. You'll laugh, you'll right. have a few good chuckles, and then you'll walk out of the theater and you'll realize that's all it was. So you need. And if there's no both. drama, then World War II and these characters
1: that take place during it, they're all just sort of set pieces they don't yeah. actually mean anything they're just there to to help the punchline.
0: yes exactly that's a great point without it it's just a bunch of punchlines talking to each other and a bunch of setups and payoffs but taika i was surprised by pleasantly not that i expected worse from him but uh he balances this so well i would say a little bit better than wilder people even though wilder people is still yeah. a good movie in my opinion um but one thing so a lot of people have talked about marvel movies big shock and um a lot of people have criticized marvel movies for this one very specific reason which is all the witty humor all the core of uh, the uh, i almost said quirks that's that's false uh all of the uh the quick draw humor the wit all of that yeah and i i as i've listened to these comments i think What people aren't upset about is the humor as much, but rather the timing of that humor. And uh, I talked to you about this in a scene from Kung Fu Panda 3, which I won't spoil. Even though I have Rice Krispied and become a full-blown, just uh, rage-fueled machine, uh, it is a scene that is still so precious to me, and I don't want to ruin it uh, on an unrelated episode. But there is a scene where it draws me in emotionally, and I really feel that. But the only thing, the only thing wrong with this perfect scene is they immediately undercut it with a joke at the very end of the same scene. And we've touched on this a few times, James, but confidence in a film is paramount. It is crucial. If you don't have confidence in a film, the flaws are, it's going to show. It's going to show. So all that's just to say, wrapping up my long tirade, Taika expertly bounces comedy and drama and most importantly he doesn't let one undercut the other he has yeah. some funny scenes and then he has scenes in between the comedy and drama to let each one breathe so if there's drama we can still sit in that and then we'll have comedy and we'll embrace it but they never undercut each other they never let you think oh man i am kind of a sucker for crying in that scene because now they just made a joke um, and yeah. I feel that somehow that's the risk you can have when you undercut the comedy or the drama in something. You could be condescending to your audience to say, You were laughing at that, please, you know, and that's not Come what you on. want. So on top of comedy and drama, this movie is also a satire told from the perspective of a Nazi and a lot of the supporting cast are Nazis. And Hitler's in this now, albeit he's an imaginary friend, but Hitler, <laughs> Hitler is, is still one of the main in the characters. Hitler is in this. And yet this movie this movie's been widely advertised as an anti hate satire. And I think the the thing that I was nervous about going in was that this movie would define anti hate as anti Nazi basically hitting against the Nazis, saying, oh, they hated Which people. Which is such so. an easy thing to do and such an oh, obvious yeah. thing to do. Everyone picks on Nazis. Now, I'm not trying to defend Nazis when I say that, obviously. right? Uh, there's a lot of messed up stuff that went down in World War II. But not all Nazis. In fact, no Nazi ever is just a Nazi. They're a person. There are reasons they right. made the choices that they do. There are struggles they face on a daily basis. And this film touched on that so uh, maturely. And I was yeah. very wonderfully surprised by that. So, Which is
1: so interesting because, like, almost every character is a caricature. Like, yeah. they're so crazy, blown-out, exaggerated <laughs> characters. Yes. And yet you still see these human sides of them sometimes. And it's just like, oh, like, uh, I'm so emotionally confused and conflicted right now because yeah. I like this character and he's a Nazi. Like... <laughs> Captain Klenzendorf was my favorite character in this movie. Oh, he was great. I
0: really enjoyed him. Uh, <laughs> I He was the, so good. Going on what you said, the final scene where he sacrifices... He doesn't even... He sacrifices... He risks sacrificing his friendship with Jojo just so Jojo can stay alive and not be killed. Right. And I was scared for Jojo. And then I caught myself. I was like, Jojo, well, what? don't do that. Oh, wait, no, he's a Nazi. I should be rooting for him, but... I don't want to. W- what's wrong with me? And then <laughs> Klendzendorf, he's like, "You filthy Jew!" And he like starts targeting Jojo just so they can kick Jojo out of the Nazi. Right. What and you know
1: grabs the grabs the uh, German soldier coat off of him before yes. anyone else can see.
0: Yes, and and he's, he's like screaming at to get out. And I'm like, I don't want him to die. He's a great guy. As he's calling someone yeah. a Jew and being a Nazi, <laughs> spitting on him. <laughs> yeah, and I that's great you know taika doesn't say oh i'll just portray nazis as nazis they're cold-blooded and evil people he now the ideology
1: of nazis is definitely highly exaggerated and blown out of proportion like every aspect of it oh yeah it's blown out of proportion but to a point of just like absurdity
0: but how difficult is it james to take an ideal blow it out of proportion in a film but still keep the characters somewhat grounded and likable exactly and taika does this so well it is amazing. Uh, Taika is so good at, uh, and I honestly think he's gotten better at just humor and balancing it. Uh, his films, at least Wilder People and Jojo, uh, I Thor I'm a little wavering on because that wasn't really, I feel, a full-blown Taika film as it was yeah. Marvel's film with Taika's blueprints all over it. Right. But for all intents and purposes, Wilder People and Jojo... Um, There's just so much there. There's so much tasteful humor. And they're quirky, but they're not so quirky where you have to be in the know to get it, to know about it, to enjoy it. And JoJo is just... On those levels and many others, I was just considerably blown away when I saw this movie.
1: Not to mention, whenever they... whenever, Whenever they... Whenever Tycho wants it to be funny. Yeah. It's really enjoyably funny. Like I could not stop laughing the first like ten minutes of this the stupid Nazi Boy Scout camp. <laughs> I just thought the whole thing, like it was so surreal and they yes. did not pull punches. Oh yes. Like with everything and like He grabs a grenade like,
0: and just like blows himself up. Yes. I was in the theater, and as soon as it cut to that shot where the grenade slowly hits the tree truck and then bounces back, everyone's like, oh,
1: no. <laughs> uh, it was amazing. Oh, and just, uh, like, I don't know, like, just, it's, it's sort of an unbridled, like, those first, like, 10, 15 minutes in the camp are just unbridled, like, let's just be ridiculous and just do some silly stuff with Hitler dancing in the background <laughs> and, like, make jokes about women for the german war effort and like show like diagrams of like what they think jews look like with bat wings and serpent tongues and stuff it's just like so absurd and it's like yeah i'm sitting there just like chuckling at this um and i'm just like this this these ideologies are just so ridiculous oh
0: yeah uh The first scene when Jojo is talking to himself in the mirror saying, I'm Jojo. You know, he's giving himself that whole pep talk. And then we see Hitler come into the room and hear these like heavy footsteps right behind him. And he sees a massive man. And I love that the first time we hear Hitler, he says something to the effect of like, you got this, man. <laughs> just like that <laughs> little man at the end was enough. It's like this. So he's just so he's a very chill version of Hitler. I would say, at oh, least yeah. in my limited cinematic experience, the most chill version of Hitler ever committed to cinema. Just very oh, relaxed, uh, and he only really gets angry towards the end when uh, Jojo kind of turns on his ideology, his inner Nazi, if you right. will. Um, and I
1: would say that I would say that that is whenever he was the most true to who Hitler actually was yeah. because, because Jojo was realizing what his ideology, what the ideology of, of being a Nazi really was. And yeah. so like the full color of, of Hitler was coming into light and like his uniform changed color. And like, yeah, <clears throat> he, you know, every scene that he was in was a little less saturated. And like, he just like, and that last scene where he's, he's dead, you know, he's got the big, bullet hole in his head yeah and he's yelling at jojo he's doing like the arm gestures that you would see hitler doing like yes. during his speeches right and it's crazy like it just kind of frightened me yeah. how full-blown hitler taika could go if he wanted to
0: oh yeah and it's interesting because taika is uh i believe uh there's i forget the nationality something like i think Maori. his
1: grandmother is jewish if i yeah. remember correctly
0: he's jewish and new zealander it never feels like Taika is just doing this to for the laughs. I mean, his character is. I don't doubt that. But how yeah. hard is it already to direct a film like this and then also star as one of the most polarizing characters? And right. w- while we're on that topic, James, here's something shocking. I would not call this a polarizing movie, per se. No. And it's so shocking for me to say that about a film about Nazis, about yeah. one particular Nazi guy, this wannabe nazi it's it's crazy stuff and i'm glad it wasn't
1: polarizing yeah me neither cuz like if it was polarizing that would imply that like there that would imply that like the film tried to say some sort of both sides sort of thing like right. oh like the nazis you know they had people there were people in them there were people and like <laughs> that is definitely part of the movie but it never there's never a melding of like the ideology and the person because yeah. the ideologies are just over here like ridiculousness, brunts of jokes. And then the people are just like different things entirely. I don't know. Hmm. What do you think about that statement?
0: I think it's a it's well-worded. Uh, there wasn't a lot of – there wasn't any about, oh, well, the Nazis actually had some good points or they actually had some good people. <laughs> uh, it's very right. one-sided. But again, again, it's also mature about it. I don't think at all one-sided films are good. In fact, I think one-sided films can be dangerous because you risk uh, portraying the other side, whatever they may be, as dumb or idiots or just incompetent um, and laughable. And the Nazis, the ideology is, but as we've touched on, the characters are too well-rounded for you to just say, oh, they're all idiots. Uh, There's likable qualities in them. And as we talked about, Klenzendorf sacrifices himself at the end for our hero who isn't even that much of a Nazi anymore. It's crazy. There are
1: like hints of him beforehand too. Like there were several scenes with Clemsendorf near the halfway point of the movie where I'm like, is he, whose side is he on? Like, like he said, there are a few things about his, like Jojo's mother. And there's like the scene where he like saves Elsa and Jojo, like, Hmm. and he's like, just totally lets them pass by, um, which is a scene that confused me, and we can talk more about that later. But, like, sure. there's definitely some moments where I'm, like, with Clensendorf, I'm just, like, okay, you want to get back out on the front, but, like, whose side are you really on? Yeah. And how can you be so stupidly, like, funny and, like, exaggerated and also <laughs> be, like, a person?
0: I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> Isn't it? It's amazing. And one thing I love about Taiko Atiti's films that has been consistent throughout almost, actually, so far, yes, consistently throughout. Um, Wilder People and JoJo have potential to be polarizing, but aren't. They are, as we, I believe, verbatim told, uh, we labeled Wilder People as this, but I believe one of us said it was tastefully irreverent. And I think in the same Definitely. vein, JoJo is very much. Similar to this one, it's irreverent, yeah. but it's not irreverent for irreverency's sake. It's uh, irreverent, but it pokes fun to make a point. And the yeah. people you would find unlikable aren't exactly the same people you thought going in. Um, yeah. And it's 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 well done storytelling, and uh, I just can't get over the awe of Taika's ability to balance carefully all of these pieces together. Because, as you said, Mm -hmm. the Boy Scout almost fever dream sequence um, (laughs) is so fun. But it helps us get in the mood of like, wow, okay, this movie isn't really taking itself as seriously. And then the real difficulty comes in when reality has to be a part of the film equation. Namely in the Mm -hmm. sequences with Elsa and Jojo when he's talking to the Jewish girl that lives in his house. This dogmatic Nazi boy and this Jewish girl. And there's tension there. How do you get around that? And Taika goes about it in such interesting ways because he he's able to attack the Nazi ideology without attacking Jojo, which is good because yeah. with Jojo being the main character, I'm rooting for this kid. He's so adorable. And there were times in the movies, especially during the more serious parts, where I went, he's just a boy. <laughs> like, right. This is so bad. But there's also some good moments when he's talking with Elsa where there's some really good dialogue. Um, There's a scene when he, uh, I forget the context leading up to this, honestly. He's, like, berating her or something about, like, uh, just more information about Jews for his book. And then she puts him in a hold and just goes on this very short speech, but it is so poignant oh. about, like, my people wrestled with angels yes. and fought Goliath. And I remember going, shoot, you know, that that is powerful. It isn't some so preachy, good. politically charged, like, you people are, are guilt and shame-ridden and blind to the truth, whatever. It's not an attack on Jojo. It's an affirmation of who she is. And right. her confidence, I think closely mirrors the movie's own confidence where it's like, you can't discredit me because I am, I am someone to be taken seriously. And, right. uh, it was, it was just such my a great race
1: is something to be taken seriously.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that was just one of many moments where I went, that is good stuff. That's great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, all of their conversations, I feel like, are some of the most uh, important talking points of the film. If I, if I were to process this movie with somebody, I feel like a big takeaway would be what is trying to say with this movie is that, um, and maybe in an extreme case, this is what it would be, but this is how I would say it in a short, in a short form. People with opposing ideologies are one conversation away from becoming friends slash understanding each other. Hmm. Like, I feel like there's something and, you know, that's not always true. But um, I really think that that's what's trying to be said here. Hmm. And it's not and it's not like Jojo himself was a full-blown Nazi. Yeah. But... It's because he wasn't that he was more susceptible to conversations, you know, he was a boy. Yeah. But also I think that there's the movie is is also trying to say like hey, like obviously Nazis are bad. We get that. What more yeah. can we say? Well, people that have opposing views, they're both people and if they can just sit down and try to understand each other instead of just going along with what the people above them are telling them to believe then maybe maybe things can change maybe relationships can form
0: I love how this movie had every reason to be heavy handed in its message and it chose not to Uh, a choice which I believe was by deliberate design Um, I feel too often movies nowadays really want to be that controversial polarizing film sometimes unintentionally like Joker and other times very intentionally very much politically charging the audience so that they walk yeah. out of that theater uncomfortable. And I'm not saying those movies are bad. I think there's a place for it. But I think what is bad is when everyone wants to be that movie. And mm-hmm. I would say don't be that movie if you don't have anything to say. If all You have would to... call that
1: the Oscar bait movie.
0: Yes. <laughs> if all you have to say is, were you confused? Or that was uncomfortable, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think you should make that kind of movie. Don't confuse people for confusion's sake. And Jojo Rabbit had every chance to do that, and yet I think it opened up the dialogue, or at least the chance to dialogue with the people watching in a way that mimics the values of its own film respectfully and honestly, but without confusing people, without deliberately confusing, dancing around answers to its own questions it yeah answers its questions in many ways by just the natural flow of the conversation uh jojo shows it shows
1: us it doesn't tell us
0: yes uh jojo and elsa have a very interesting relationship but they both realize uh their own shortcomings elsa's shortcoming is that she's a jew in nazi germany and she's she, there's a lot of emotional baggage there. There's a lot of anger and sadness and confusion on her end, and Jojo's yeah. shortcoming—the most obvious one—he's a boy, you know. He's easily misled. He's easily—I should say—misled. He's just easily entranced and seduced in some ways by the Nazi ideology, and yeah. um, I don't know because it just, looks cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: All the propaganda posters make. <laughs> You know, Nazi boys look like heroes.
0: Yes. Um, there's uh, there's someone that said maybe Hitler isn't just his imaginary friend. Maybe it's also an externalization of his desire for his father.
1: Yeah. Ooh.
0: Hitler being the father figure he never had growing up. Um, yeah. And I love that we see that. Taika's not concerned about a historically accurate Hitler in this case. He's worried about a narratively functional Hitler. And mm-hmm. I come to like Hitler as the movie goes on. Not just because it's Taika, <laughs> but his his friendship with Jojo. We see Jojo go through these hard times. He's not fitting in well with his Nazi brothers. The only friend he has is out fighting, something he wants to do desperately. And he has this quote-unquote ugly face caused by his injuries but throughout right. all of it, Hitler's the one that is, you know, there for him. And even when he starts talking with Elsa, Hitler doesn't, like, yell at him about that Jewish girl. Instead, he's just like, Whoa, that was intense, you know? And he has, <laughs> yeah. he approaches it like a very good friend, like a better than true father, where he's like, I have some concerns, but I'm not going to press you about it, you know? Right. <laughs> and then later, as the movie
1: goes on and as JoJo's views shift further and further away from his original views Hitler becomes a more exaggerated um exaggerated personification of like Jojo's Nazi Nazi ideas yeah I feel I feel that's the form that he takes because that's the only space that that's the only space that Hitler can can fit in yeah. Once near the end of the movie, because Jojo has found a friend mm-hmm. in Elsa, and Jojo has found a community in Elsa, and no longer needs Hitler, mm-hmm. and his screen time gets less and less and less. And as that happens, Hitler's character becomes more and more inhuman, uh, yes. more and more intense, more and more Nazi.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great observation, and you've made plenty already. You've caught a lot that I didn't. Uh, one, as you were talking, it occurred to me, there's a whole theme of this movie that isn't the main theme, but it's certainly there. And there just seems to be stated by many characters throughout this whole movie that there is something missing in Jojo and that something is a childhood. His mother at one point yeah. even says like, you should just be like a normal boy, run out and, you know, get hurt or whatever. There was like some... Climb joke a
1: tree and then fall out of that same yeah. tree.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Jojo doesn't. Uh, he doesn't do that at first. I mean, he isn't he isn't like that to begin with, but as the movie goes on, he opens up not just to anti-Nazi ideas, but really just to childhood, the childhood he never allowed himself to have. He starts yeah. to love, and he starts to dream and wonder and question things, and um, I just think that was so wonderful. This movie isn't just a comedy, it's not just a World of War II commentary. It is it's an homage in some ways to childhood and it's a tribute to being a kid. You know? A lot yeah. of movies are tributes about growing up. But in this movie, Jojo grows up by becoming a kid, you know? Mm, that's just, good. I think that was just so beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's that's juicy. So I already told you who my favorite character was. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Captain Klenzendorf and his uh, obnoxious music that staggers <laughs> the enemy. Who is your favorite
0: character? Well, Klenzendorf is one of my favorites, but if I had to go with someone else, it would be the name of a character that I can't currently remember, but uh, it's Jojo's friend, uh, the younger friend who oh, goes to war. Yorkie? Is that it? Yeah. Okay. That's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> Yorkie, yeah, but um, there's one moment, because I was watching this with a friend of mine from class, and uh, there's one scene towards the very end of the movie when Yorkie is, like, we're in the war zone. The war zone has finally arrived into Jojo's neighborhood. And we see Yorkie. And I'm thinking to myself, how the heck is this kid still alive? He has not died <laughs> once. And I was going to say, like, that's so unrealistic. And as I turned to my friend, and as I said he has not died yet. That's ludicrous. The movie immediately responded with Yorkie. You're still alive. And Yorkie went, I just can't <laughs> seem to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's and so I, great. I thought this movie was so dark because Yorkie was going to war and the boys were talking about it casually. And I honestly wasn't laughing because I went Yorkie is 11. He should not be fighting. And I was scared. And that cause... is actually true to yeah. history. That's the sad thing. It's messed up, and I was freaking out, and because I I knew he was gonna die. I just knew it. I knew he was gonna be killed, and I knew that would be the emotional core. Luckily, I was wrong, um, but, (laughs) (laughs) just I love how Taika doesn't like say like, oh yeah, he's just alive because of plot. He's like, huh, it's funny because he's still alive, you know, and a lot of movies that are a lot more quote unquote cool and self aware, uh, they tend to poke fun at. The uh, bad writing, or not the bad writing, right. but the convenience. They tend to poke fun at it. And the problem with that is, it makes me ultra aware that, yeah, not only is it a convenient, but the writers knew it was convenient and didn't do anything to improve that. What Taika yeah, that's does. That's true. Taika, Taika doesn't really get super meta with his writing, does no, he? No. He didn't poke fun at the convenience, he pokes fun at the fact that he's still alive. Uh, yeah. And I think that's an important difference to make. Uh, He doesn't poke at the fun that, isn't it convenient you're still alive? Or, yeah, nothing seems to kill me, huh? It's like, I can't believe it, I'm still alive. You know, there's that boyish (laughs) celebration of feeling invincible, of feeling like, wow, I'm a soldier, I've seen wartime, and I haven't died. This is great, you know. And Uh, I'm wearing an entire uniform made out of recycled paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh, goodness, yeah, Yorkie was great. Both of the child, all the child actors were pretty awesome. And isn't it hard to find? I mean, one of the things they tell us in classes is, as a first-time director especially, the two things you don't ever want to interact with or have in your films are pets or kids. And there's a third one, but I forgot it. Um, But kids, children are so hard to act properly because they're young, but they don't have a lot of experience. This boy, uh, Roman Griffin Davis, who plays Jojo, amazing job. Amazing job. Yeah. I never once felt like, oh, gee, that's a good actor, or this is a great child actor. I, I thought he was Jojo the whole time. And I think that is a tribute not just to his talent, but to Taika's as well. And yeah. um, some of you might be listening and thinking, well, you're putting Taika on quite a high platter. And uh, he his movies, I wouldn't say, are perfection, But there's so much talent there you have to acknowledge. His films are quirky. They're satirical at times. They cover sensitive topics. uh, They have very interesting characters. They all have potential to be these awful things. They they could be heavy-handed or polarizing or nonsensical, but they're none of those things. They're coherent stories, and there's clearly a lot of intelligence put into them. And there's sadness, and there's
1: stillness in the midst of this, these intense movies in the midst of these comedic movies. Yeah. Um, because he is not afraid to take time to have quiet moments with main characters. Yes. Uh, I feel like we've talked about this whenever we reviewed wilder people, but like you really get to know the characters, um, in their quiet times. And I feel like the characters are given as many quiet times as Taika feels like they need in order for the audience to feel, like they they're getting to know what's on the mind of the characters, yeah. Um, and in 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 the case of JoJo, that's definitely that's definitely the case. There's there's plenty of plenty of times of contemplation and leaving the audience thinking, okay, what what's the character thinking about right now? And it sort of puts you
0: in their shoes. Yeah. Taika does such a good job at uh, kind of becoming the director's um, doing a sleight of hand uh showing us one thing and then having it pay off unexpectedly in the next. And one such example is something I kind of I really want to talk about which is Scarlett Johansson but specifically yeah. uh kind of jumping the gun a bit her death at the end. Um, the shoes. The shoes. And here's the thing. I I am impressed at the amount of restraint in that scene when Jojo finds yeah. his mother. Uh there's not even a shot of her face. I was waiting for it. Me too. And you kind of see it, but it's mostly her hair. But here's the most powerful thing of all that I think makes this scene even better. You don't need to see her face. And just as we're suddenly robbed of seeing her face ever again, it's kind of like JoJo being robbed of seeing his mother ever again. It's that that same lack of fulfillment, that lack of satisfaction, that lack of like, we can't even get a lasting glimpse of this person anymore because JoJo's not going to. And I'm sure she's
1: not recognizable
0: anyway. It was just enough. It was enough. All he needed yeah. to see was the feet and the actor Roman's performance as JoJo. That was enough to sell it. Mm-hmm. And it was just. I thought I,
1: it was a fake out at first. Yeah. And then they just lingered there and I was like, are you <laughs> kidding me? I just felt like I was punched in the gut.
0: For me, it was when JoJo was crying and then he looks back up at his mother and the camera still lingers. And then he just yeah. weeps again, like he goes to walk away, but then he just, he can't bring himself to do that just yet because he doesn't have that strength yet. It, yeah. It's such a powerful moment and it's so oh, simple. It is so yeah. simple. If you want a powerful way to kill your character off, sometimes it's not even in the writing, it's just in the direction. Uh, let's not, yeah. as let's, as you said, let's show, don't tell, but perhaps let's not show everything. Let's just show what we need to show. And that Mm -hmm. will tell what we needed to tell. Yeah. So that was really good. Um, James, I believe when we talked about Endgame, you were talking a bit about Scarlett Johansson and how really cool of a person she can be when she's not uh, on screen, such as uh, like on Hot Ones, the the show about Hot Wings, kind of her persona in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I really feel she had a chance to really breathe with this role as Rosie. Oh, yeah. I don't know. A lot of people talk about female roles in Hollywood and how restricting they can be about they always got to find a guy. They're always doing this and this and this. But I feel so many modern movies make that the statement about, like, not only does she need no man, but she don't want no man, you know? Yeah. Um, Taika never does any of that. He never makes some kind of statement. He makes a statement, in my opinion, by not making a statement, by just letting this character breathe, let her be herself, because we see, yeah. I don't, I don't think we ever get a silent moment with just her, but we get quiet moments not just with her and Jojo, which is one dynamic, but her and Elsa, which is a totally different dynamic. She gets to oh, yeah. be more frank with Elsa, and with Jojo. We get to look
1: into like, her thoughts, her dreams as she's talking with Elsa. Yeah. About she- where she would go and what she would do if she was a free woman.
0: Yes she has thoughts and dreams and she's a good mom she's not this anti-male person she's a person i think it proves the best way to write a strong female character is just to write a strong character that's female and scarlett johansson does a good job with it um
1: yeah i definitely saw more of who scarlett johansson actually is Yeah. and that's all entirely based on you know this this hot ones <laughs> interview but I definitely saw more of her actual personality. It's kind of like with, I was thinking about this earlier about black widow. I was thinking like, Oh man, I feel like whenever she's playing black widow, she's just putting on this really, really tight collar. And so (laughs) her throat is kind of straight and she can't quite breathe, but then, Oh, I can play this, this character, Rosie. Oh, I can breathe. I can kind of put myself into this character. Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah. It's good. Here's here's the thing, James. I haven't actually seen her Hot Ones interview yet. Oh, but, really? But here's the thing. And I, I don't know if I, I have the ability to, to say for certain that I have seen this and that it is truth. But I will say that I've seen it. And in my eyes, I think this is how it feels. Um, people have talked about Black Widow's character in Marvel's universe and talked about how strong of a woman she is, but more importantly, and I don't want to get too political with that, I'll keep it simple as this. People said Black Widow is a very good character, fully fledged. She adds a lot to the team. I honestly disagree with that. Uh, Black Widow really doesn't... Even when she's on screen. Yeah, I know she has backstory, but everything I've known about about Black Widow feels forced to me. Um, With Iron Man 2, you know... When she walks in, she's a seductive person for Tony to look at and be like, Oh, cool, you know, whatever. And even though she kicks butt, that's kind of how she was introduced. Uh, In Age of Ultron, Joss Whedon tries to touch on her backstory by showing some flashbacks or whatever, and honestly, those just felt forced, like, get me to care more about Black Widow. Uh, Where I'm going with all of this is that compared to Scarlett Johansson's role as Rosie... Black Widow does feel the same as you mentioned. And I didn't really realize it this strongly until I saw this movie, but Black Widow really feels just contained or restrained, not restrained, just contained. Uh, Like Scarlett Johansson is, in fact, in a straitjacket where, you know, it's not really... The best way I can describe it to you is describe her role as Rosie, which is seeing her as Rosie... I I really sensed right away, not only was she embodying the character well, but she was actually having fun with this. I could tell they probably had a lot of fun making this movie, at least her scenes. Oh, yeah. I just, that really showed on screen to me. Like, really showed. There was something about her talking with Jojo and just goofing off and pretending to be his father for one very good scene that all felt, it didn't feel scripted. It felt natural. And either Scarlett Johansson felt very natural and just loved doing this role, or she's just that good of an actress, or maybe all the above. But it really worked for me. And I just, I really started to appreciate this actress in a light that I hadn't quite seen her fully in before.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me excited to see more movies uh, where she can be somebody else. Um, yeah. She can be... She can be a full-fledged character, um, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I'm probably gonna see this Black Widow movie yeah. um, because I really do want Black Widow's character to be fully realized. Oh yeah. Um. But I, you know, it's almost too little, too late, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm already like, already sold on this role already in her, in Jojo Rabbit. You know, it's just. Like, oh yeah. This is already so much better. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not your fault scarlett johansson it's it's the looming corporate shadows over your shoulders in every <laughs> shot
0: yes and um obviously we're not here to say hashtag boycott Black Widow. that's not what we're saying uh no, no i'll see the movie oh yeah i'm interested absolutely yeah maybe we'll review it
1: who knows oh <laughs> i just experienced reverse deja vu Whoa. <laughs> like I'm hmm. experiencing something in the future.
0: Interesting. This is actually based on a book. Uh, oh, yeah. called Caging Skies by uh, Christine Lunens, I think is her last name. I could be yes. mispronouncing it. Christine, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced it. But if I cr- pronounce it correctly, great. Uh, I just thought it was really good to point out. But even yeah. though it's an adaptation, I think our statements about Taika's direction still stand because books are one medium film is another you can do a lot great with internal dialogue in uh, a book but to translate that internal struggle just as effectively in your film that's another struggle entirely yeah Tyke is a pretty big reader huh evidently you have older people's based off a book yeah it's like water pork and no pork and watercress or something uh, I yeah something like that something with watercress
1: <laughs> yeah something about wild pork you're right yeah, yeah um yeah. but yeah, yeah i think i think um his mother read caging skies to him whenever he was little and really? uh, he was like this would make for a great movie and he's i believe it's been over a decade he's been trying to get this film picked yeah. up by somebody which i i understand
0: um, why it took that long because this is not a film on paper you would just green light this is a yeah this is a risk this is hard yeah. to get and i I'm actually glad that Taika's become more successful since Ragnarok, because now it gives him more power to make these more risky movies. And he's one of those the few Fox directors... Spir- those Fox Searchlight movies. Yeah. He's one of those few directors I would actually... I I've in, I would encourage to keep doing his own stuff. And he has. Even after Ragnarok, he hasn't played it safe. Even though he's doing the next Thor movie, he's still doing what he wants to do, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I think I read somewhere that he actually wrote this movie in 2011 between Boy and What We Do in the Shadows. So even when he was a young, young, young filmmaker, he was still writing stuff like this, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So, guys, let that be an encouragement to you. Write your ideas down, and someday when you finally get to direct a massive blockbuster, then, and only then, will you have the power necessary to make it. And you may have the power to play
1: some sort of horrifying historical figure. (laughs) Maybe Maybe I'll play Attila the Hun.
0: Or Stalin. In my
1: directorial debut. (laughs) That
0: would be great, actually. Stalin. Hey, man. man, Wanna go attack China or something? Wanna scale some walls?
1: (laughs) I've been practicing. I got a rock wall in my home. Hey, man. You want
0: to commit mass genocide with me? I don't know. I have a practice gulag in my no, have backyard. A practice gulag. Oh, I'm kind
1: of Dracula now. <laughs> <Transylvania>. <laughs> same, person, same person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our itched pitch for this evening is from
0: Joe from Illinois. Joe. Yes. I'm so glad you submitted something.
1: Yes, Joe is a, an acquaintance of mine and a dear friend of Daniel's. Hi, Joe so here's the pitch we don't have a title so we can think of that later okay Um, a family wins a raffle for a free vacation at a fancy hotel after a good night's rest the youngest son awakens to find that the rest of his family is gone and the hotel is haunted with ghosts his newfound goal is to ward off these ghosts and get to the top floor to save his family
0: interesting how about it so here's my initial stream of thoughts so
1: pour them out. This has pour them all over me.
0: <laughs> there's there's something in this foundation that reminds me a lot of Home Alone, where the youngest son awakens and suddenly all of his family's gone. Um, but at the same time, it's about a, a raffle and winning the raffle. So maybe it could be like rah, lottery alone. Or <laughs> that was a joke, really. Um, but this this uh, the structure you're going for here, Joe. Talking about um, the hotel and the ghosts and how there's a goal to ward off the ghosts. First off, kudos on having this defined direction for the character. I think yeah. it's a great it's a great start. Because now we have a goal, all right? We're gonna ward off these ghosts. We're gonna find a way to beat them or survive them. And in terms of writing a motivation for your character, that's what you want. You want something primal, you want something basic. Do you want to survive something? Do you want something? Do you want uh you know, vengeance, whatever? Uh, you got to keep it basic And then build your story up from there And I think you've done a great job of having this blueprint In place for your character So we have this guy, the youngest kid Wakes up, there's no family So get the family and survive while doing it So uh, That's a great start Um, But this has a lot of uh, There's a book I love to reference It's called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder And he talks a bit about these genres of movies This falls into the monster in the house Genre where there is something in a house, you are contained in a house. It could be a zoo, could be the ocean, like Jaws, or I'm sorry, a boat, like in Jaws. But your house is going to be the container that your characters are in, and you have to survive whatever's in there—the monster. So you have this guy who's contained in this house, and the ghosts are the monster in the house, and so he has to find a way to beat him. So, I think it's a great start. Uh, I would say, um, think about the theme. And the message you want to get across with this movie. Um, Talk about... um, Talk about... That came out weird. Um, Just considering... um, What is the point of all this? Why does this guy want to save his family? Why does he want to fight these ghosts? Does he want to do it so that... um, I don't know. Maybe there's something more to the raffle they win like a million dollars if they can survive this night in the hotel or something. Yeah. And uh, maybe the guy wants the money. And when he wakes up and there's no family, he gets excited. But then he realizes maybe he gets the money. And he realizes this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Or, better yet, uh, have it so that he's doing this to get the money, where he has to save his family to get the money. And by the time he saves the family gets the money, he realizes what he really wanted all along he finally got. And it wasn't the money. So, those are my initial thoughts. Take them as you will, James. I want to hear yours.
1: There are a couple of fun things that you have left for us. Um, genre yes. has been completely overlooked, which is fun. <laughs> so uh, we can make this whatever we want. You know, we can make this a thriller. Mm. We can make this a horror. We can make this um, an, an adventure
0: of sorts. I was imagining kind of like Action. a Disney Channel full feature film movie. <laughs>
1: That's what I was thinking. That was cool. Really? I got. I That's was like, cool. "This movie was definitely made in 1983." <laughs> but uh, I, I, like you were saying, Daniel, um, and you were asking, like, why does he want to save his family? Why does he want to avoid to, uh, the ghosts? And my initial reaction was like, "Well, isn't it obvious? You don't want to get eaten by the ghosts, or killed by the ghosts, or ghouled up by the ghosts, and your family? You know, it's all you've got." But also, I think that question is important, Daniel, because there can be thematic, um, motivations underneath both of those, those primal desires to preserve your family and to avoid death. Um, so like maybe there's some things that are hinted at earlier on before this, this hotel is overrun by ghosts. Um, that's this kid, uh, can't handle himself on his own. He's, he's super clingy and independent or super clingy and dependent on, um, you know his mom or his older brother or something mm. like that okay um and this would be his way of, of proving independence proving that he can handle himself on his own okay and um maybe there could be similar to home alone there could be some sort of falling out where he says like i don't need any of you and then yeah. he decides to save them anyway interesting um, and to it- find them at the top at the top floor where they've been I'm assuming they've been swept away by ghosts to the top floor yeah. for some scary lightning finale. I don't know.
0: Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's spooky. You could, it's real spooky. One thing you could do, because, I mean, if in the vein of what we're thinking here, the 1980s movies slash Disney Channel feature lengths or whatever, they all kind of <laughs> fall into, they have a bit of darkness to them that's kind of overlooked for the sake of keeping the light-hearted tone. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not saying we have to have darkness, but I just thought of this as like a world building way to also increase tension and raise the stakes in the story. But what if the ghosts were actually people that failed the test of saving their family or they were people full that um, like it could be a classic uh, save your family or get a million dollars, something like that. Um, Obviously, if you were going to go that route, Joe, you'd also have to. We could probably think of a way to also force this character to choose uh, because obviously he's going to choose to save his family. But how is he going to do this? How what is going to pressure him to make that choice and drive him to save his family right away? So playing around with that, I think. Uh, But I do like the idea of him being this clingy guy, being the youngest uh, being the youngest son and all. You could make it a hyperbolization of a lot of younger younger kids, which full disclaimer: I'm not a younger kid. I'm the oldest kid in my family. Um, but younger kids, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, start your fan club on another podcast. But um, oh, it's starting right here. <laughs> oh no! I'm no. building the treehouse right now. All right, go for older it. Older
1: siblings are not allowed. I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm pulling up the rope right now. You can't climb up here.
0: Rip. <laughs> All right. Well then. Declare from your treehouse, then, whatever you want to say, James. Go for it.
1: Okay. Iblish cobbledoodle, Mock. That means older kids smell, but you wouldn't understand because that's in our secret coded language. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do?
0: What am I going to do? T- we Nothing. got all the
1: bomb pops. They're up here.
0: Us ol- us older kids don't need a treehouse. Yeah. We yeah. have the whole world. We've got one treehouse.
1: Oh, oh, we have the whole world. Ooh. Yeah, well, all I need is my imagination and my treehouse. Wow. So why don't you fly to L.A. or something? Wow. Breaking the film industry, why don't you?
0: Wow. Okay, that's less of an attack on oldest kids and more of an attack on me, James. Come on. <laughs> if you're going to fight me one-on-one, get out of your treehouse and be man enough to do it to my face.
1: Ah, you're <laughs> just going to have to climb up here.
0: Okay, That's well, let's let's work out this idea first, and then we can talk a bit about bashing each other's faces in with words. That's true, we are working. <laughs> so, oh man, the line blurs so easily. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything we can add to these ghosts, James? Because, you know, I mean, ghosts can look spooky or at least spook easily, like they can come out of the woodwork, literally, and just like, you know, but... Is there anything we can add to these ghosts to make them extra scary or at least raise that heightened tension of uh, giving our person some antagonists to fight against or perhaps run against, run away from um, as he's trying to save his family?
1: Um, I'd say instead of just like general ghosts, um, I'd say that we could have maybe three different insecurities of the kid Hmm. come up early in the first act of the movie um in a subtle in subtle ways um you know maybe he can't sleep because he's up reading a book about uh, i don't know home invaders or something and like so like there could be like boss level ghosts because i feel like oftentimes it's just like, ooh, there's lots of ghosts in general and there's so many ghosts and so you don't really feel threatened because there're just so many of them. That's true. And um
0: it's kind of so like maybe, you're talking about the Christmas Carol use of ghosts where each one has a very specific purpose. Yeah. and very specific reason for existing.
1: Yeah, so so each one could could represent a different sort of fear. Um and not super directly. It doesn't have to be this deep thematic fear. It could just be like, oh, he's afraid of like, I don't know. He's afraid of blinking lights or something. So this, hmm. this here ghost can control the lights and hmm. he can only move whenever the lights are off. Oh boy. And so he, uh, yeah. And that could be real spooky. Uh, <laughs> and that could be one floor. And then, you know, he has to make his way up, up the floors and he has to pass these ghosts. Interesting. Um, yes.
0: And each ghost will be more harder than the last or uh, more difficult insecurity or flaw of his to overcome. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this. What if we added another character in, kind of a supporting character that our main one can kind of bounce ideas off of or talk to, but also Uh show us the consequences of perhaps not making the right choice? What if, uh, along with his family winning a raffle, maybe he has a family of four, but it, it says up to a family of five. So his friend comes along with him, who's also a younger kid, or maybe not. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. Um, and then, you know, uh, this younger son wakes up and his family's gone, but his friend is there. And so his friend could have the same choice or maybe his friend, I don't know, there's some. There's something different about his friend. He makes the wrong choice and either he dies or, okay. or usually with ghosts, there's some kind of spiritual death. So maybe there's a, a, a maybe the ghost eats him. And when they eat you, they eat your soul, so you can never (laughs) come back. I don't know. Uh, Oh, gosh. (laughs) This can be as dark or as humorous as you want it to. I'm so scared. (laughs) But, you know, and there could be a way for him to save his friend, but he also, now the pressure is on for him to not only save his family, but to also find a way to save his friend. So yeah, add that nuance. You can raise those stakes until they're medium well.
1: Yeah, I like I like adding a second character. Um I feel like already this this sort of feels uh very brief. The movie yeah. would not be very long. Mhm. Um I'm trying to think of ways that we can uh lengthen it and give it some more beef. If you um, wanted
0: to um if you want these ghosts to be truly entrenched in this this guy's insecurities <clears throat> You could have one ability that all three or four ghosts have, which is um, they have the ability to cause you to relive moments in your past and yet have key geography of those events be what you need to in order to move to the next room. So let's say I flash back to a moment I had in my living room. The same door that existed in my living room is the door I need to get through uh, to physically get through the, the the door in the room i'm currently into the next room does that make sense
1: okay so like after getting past certain physical ba- barriers put up by these ghosts there then becomes a um a i don't know if a spiritual barrier but some so, sort of mental emotional barrier well, that let me like
0: describe it to you a bit more a so memory. there's virtual reality places in real life Um, where not only when you put on the headset, not only does it show you the virtual world, but there are physical walls in the real world that look very boring and white and plain. But when you put the headset on, the, the rooms and geography of the walls in the game headset are exactly the same as the boring walls in real life. So you can physically touch the walls, run up alongside the walls what i'm proposing here is the basic geography of the room is the same but the ghosts cause him to project his memories onto the walls and stuff so it exactly matches certain memories he has and so in order to move on past these memories he has to get past whatever's blocking him and get to the door and the door is the same in both the room and the memory but he has to get to that door does that make sense So this is our physical way of showing there's progress being made while also allowing us to learn a bit more about this guy way before he had to deal with this dilemma.
1: Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe the last, like the final ghost could, could just be an entire memory, Hmm. uh, like that he has to work through, um, all the while, like certain, certain things that people are saying are being distorted or certain things happening, Hmm around him are being distorted by the ghost um sort of how in retrospect sometimes things can get twisted whenever we have tainted memories sometimes we look back on them and they can be worse than they actually are um the ghost could perhaps be altering like you know what what his mom said to him after xyz happened like she actually like she she didn't respond as gracefully as as he may have remembered
0: um Maybe and one of the insecurities is he'll never be like his oldest brother. Maybe his oldest brother or oldest sister uh, is held at such a ideal an ideal yeah. in his family, but they don't really know it. Like, they have good Oof. intentions. They have good intentions, but they'll say little things. Like, why can't you just be like your sister or something? And those little things yeah. can eventually comprise that ghost. It's a bunch of those little things combined into one entity. Yeah. I don't know. It's a fun thing and to then, play with, and then once he conquers
1: that, the real the real challenge is like uh, you know on the top floor he's offered like, do you wanna? You know we could we could make your sister disappear. Oh gosh! If you want, you could be the only child, and you, we you could be the hero and save your parents. And you know maybe that's the ghost's way of like, still trying to trick him into losing the game. Hmm. Uh But he ultimately you know decides to to spare his sister and
0: maybe there's uh, maybe the character is led to believe early on in this challenge that the end goal is money a lot of money and so he initially refuses because of course money is such a petty thing and this guy has enough fortitude where he's like "Mm, no my family is my family and so obviously and he's a little kid too like yeah i was imagining more of a teenager but honestly he could also be a little kid Oh. That could work.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so like fourteen years old you're thinking? 15? Uh
0: yeah, what however old the Disney channel. <laughs> Sorry, Joe, <laughs> we're immediately forcing you into the Disney
1: Channel realm. Um I don't know. With how dark this is, yeah. this is quickly becoming like a Stephen
0: King eighties movie. Yeah, pretty much. Um Yeah. There it could start off with money, but then at the very end the plot twist is money was never actually the reward. They did say there would be a treasure at the end, but they never said that treasure would be money. Um, and so the treasure, whatever it is, would immediately play to these insecurities, which he just recently got over. Um, yeah. It would say, hey, we have the ability to completely rewrite your life. We have the ability to make you significant and make you seen uh, while mm. keeping your family in the process. That's all you need to do. And during this time, there could be, along with beating the insecurities, there could be a, uh, a thanksgiving for what he lost. Uh, Maybe just missing the family he had and wanting them back and realizing that whatever is offered through this other treasure, he'll never truly get his family completely back, even if they are physically back. And so Mm. I feel that could be the choice because I feel if it was like money or your sister dies or your family gets saved, I feel that's a very obvious choice. You really want to spice it up. You want the final decision to be one that's actually has weight that actually causes this character to pause and think.
1: Yeah. I think that's definitely, no, that that's true. That's a more fleshed out, a more fleshed out iteration of what I was, of what I was trying to say is like altering the way his family views him, putting him, taking him off the back burner and putting him on the focus of his parents and being the, the golden child and all that. Yeah. Um, so, um, this is still sort of half-baked, Daniel, but what do you say we
0: call this movie? Goodness. Um, I haven't thought about that, actually. Uh, if you, It depends entirely on the genre. If you want to make this a serious Stephen King-esque thing, you can do something thematic, like, I don't know, Ghosts of the Past, or Ghosts of Our Past, or uh, Shadow of a Family. I don't know. <laughs> uh, if you want this to be a bit more family-friendly... Um, you could call it Ghost Hotel, or the Hotel of Dreams, or... How about
1: Ancestor?
0: Ancestor. That sounds kind of spooky. I mean, it could. If you want to go with one word. Horror movies and thrillers usually have one word titles. Annabelle, The Conjuring, which duh, doesn't really count. Um, so if you want to get ominous... Insidious. Yeah, yeah You could choose some one word like Carnage I don't know <laughs> There's never a lot of carnage in this you could call it slip Like slippery slope Or like your foot slips You know, something that implies a sudden accident A sudden unfortunate change of events So mm. you could call it that Slip could also easily be a comedy name too But, you know True. It could also work for the sake of this it could uh, also anyway. be
1: a nickname for a talking bunny slipper character.
0: <laughs> That's true. What, what are some of your ideas for titles?
1: Something like hollow or, yeah. um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of something that like hotels have that would also work along the lines of like spooky ghost things. Um, so maybe, uh, the
0: guest. Yeah, that could work.
1: Um, I I don't know. That's all I got. I'm I'm struggling.
0: We'll let you figure this one out, Joe. I know you're not usually a writer, but, you know, if you ever want to get this into a movie, I'd recommend you pitch it to Disney. Uh, They launched Disney Plus earlier this week, so you can go check them out. (laughs) You can also talk to (laughs) ABC or NBC, because I know... I think nbc is launching their own streaming service and with the oh, with the lack of extensive content that disney has i think they'll be itching for some new pigeons so be sure to check them out <laughs> and if you actually get a pitch opportunity for them let me know because that would be awesome
1: yeah i'll serve you i'll serve you mints on a silver on a silver dish that'll be my job that's how i break in
0: amazing amazing If
1: you have any ideas for film pitches, you can reach out to us at Casually Critical Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and then also shoot us an email uh, at at casuallycriticalpodcast.gmail.com. Also, artist friends, uh, some of you have pitched films to me uh, and Daniel, and some of you are not artists who have pitched these films. So artists who are listening and have not pitched we would love it if you could do some fan posters of some of these film ideas. That'd be great. Um, they're pretty abstract ideas. We don't really have nailed down character designs or appearances or settings for a lot of these films. So it'd be a really great idea for you to uh, just just sort of just sort of have a small prompt for for making a, a movie poster or or art for the movie. Sure. Um, if any of these ideas has inspired you. Um, we would highly encourage you to do that. Just make sure to tag the podcast um, whenever you do make that uh, because we would love to see your work and uh, leave a comment.
0: That would be wonderful. I would love to see some of these ideas take light because I really want
1: to see a poster for rise. (laughs) Emily's latest one.
0: Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. The horror one with the stairs. There's uh, a, in the vein of Jojo rabbit, we also had an idea a while back of time travel and teenage Hitler we just had oh, yeah. one about villainous roommates. There's, there's that so much. Fun. There's so much good material out there. Please, yeah. I encourage you. Give us. some Oh, and juicy Adrian's visuals. pitch about
1: the, the uh, actors on on the island, the reality TV show. Yes.
0: Oh, reality kingpins. How could I forget? How could I yes. forget? Yes, that one's good. There's a lot of good ones out there. So yeah, that's my plug. James, do we have any fan
1: Q and A's? Yeah. So uh, we have one question. Uh, from christina from michigan awesome hi christina thanks for listening (laughs) uh appreciate your support you said so many sweet things and thank you uh, so much christina i was i was flattered anyway your question was if you could change one thing about the star wars saga what would it be along the same lines if you had to choose one star wars episode to travel back in time and write slash direct which would it be and why daniel no, you have way no. more thoughts than I do on this, so no, you go first.
0: I. These are questions. I can just see you that, sweating. <laughs> there's, there. You can't just drop these on me, James. You can't <laughs> just say like, oh yeah. How would you change like Lord of the Rings? And then just like walk <laughs> off. You. All right. Well, <clears throat> at the risk of regretting what I'm saying later, because I, I put more thought into it later, uh, I'll just try and answer them off the cuff right now. to to save face Um, (laughs) so if I could change one thing about the Star Wars saga what would it be that's pretty easy and that is the creative direction of the new trilogy Um, I'm not a fan and uh, I'll tell you why the original trilogy was great because uh, it was original Um, and you can nitpick that to death you can say like ah, George Lucas borrowed a lot of elements from other movies well yeah but he created an original thing with that still counts as original um but this new trilogy all i've seen are some people call them ripoffs of the original trilogy and the movies beforehand others call them homages say what you will i think there's just too much of that there's too much reminding me of the past and not enough innovation uh so what yeah, i would there's do...
1: definitely the feeling of like the directors grabbing your head and saying like do you recognize that? Yeah. Now sigh contentedly. Yeah. As you, yeah. as you're feeling nostalgic feelings as you look at this, right. and see this person, they said this line.
0: <laughs> Honestly, that's all I see these new characters as are just shadows of the past. I see Ray as. Uh, um, a default character for anakin or for luke i honestly see all these characters as just stereotypes that star wars has kind of made some of its archetypes so i see like you know in in many um i'm about to really let my nerd show but in like uh game programming or even video making there's always a basic element you <laughs> 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 big what?
1: dork big dork <laughs> stop
0: Stop. It's <laughs> a <the> tree <laughs> house <in> then.
1: <this. laughs> Daniel's a dork. He said game programming.
0: Ha <laughs> <laughs> Stop, your your life is contagious. So um, um, so where was I? Creative directions, right. So in many programs. You have, like, a, a default cube or something. Just something that you start out with and then you build from there. And I feel that uh, all of the new characters in these this trilogy are just cubes, you know? It's what you start out with and then you make a character. Like, they all start with Rey and then maybe add some insecurities in her Force abilities and some resistance to participating in a Rebellion or Resistance. And that's Luke. Or maybe give her hot-headedness, give her anger issues, give her angst about uh, things, give her inappropriate relationships with older women. You get Anakin, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, Finn, he's your average reluctant hero who doesn't want to oh, join the he's the, the pilot. Friend. He's Han Solo. He's a bit of Luke. You know, Mark Hamill even said, all these people are fragments of me, <laughs> of Luke. Mm. Um, Poe is a hotshot pilot. So oh yeah pose the pilot sorry. So there's 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 a few things. There's a few things that their characters had to offer but not a lot. So my biggest issue too to conclude my tirade is of all the things that didn't come through for me in the original trilogy or sorry the newest trilogy of Star Wars. Of all the things to not come through the biggest one was the passion for Star Wars. It really just felt machine fueled. It felt sterilized, it felt safe. Let's not get too Star Warsy. Let's just um we'll give them a, a reskin of a new hope. Um, you know, you don't have the empire, you have the first order. The dynamic of the galaxy doesn't make sense because the empire was defeated. Uh so you would think the re- republic would be the majority power, but then this new one comes about. And the biggest thing is they didn't explain any of that. They're just like, oh, the First Order is what it is. It's just there. Uh, they never explained it. So I'm starting to go down a rabbit hole. I'm going to take out a dagger, stab the ground, and stop myself from sinking any further. That's what I would change. What would you change, James? Um. Oh, also making I would just the Gong nuke. Droid a Sith Lord. Sorry. Yes.
1: Going. <laughs> that's Well, that's my number one. Uh, a Gong droid Sith Lord would be adding Heimdall in. To the... So good. I think, I think making Heimdall a Sith Lord, though, would kind of be limiting him. <laughs> Don't you think?
0: <sighs> okay. 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 I, I can see cool. that. Can That's I true.
1: continue now?
0: Yes. Sorry. All these obvious things. Come on. Okay. Come on, Daniel. Go ahead.
1: I would just nuke. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if there was like radioactive
0: what? cows? Okay. Hyperspace okay, okay. cows. Okay.
1: Okay, we're all having fun. Oh, I'll Interrupt him. That'll be funny. Let's do it, Daniel. Press the button. Interrupt. Press what button? Third time around. I would just nuke midichlorians. Just drop <laughs> a big fat nuke on that. Yeah. Take the take all the mysticism out of out of the Star Wars world in in one basic writing stroke of doom. Midichlorians. I love the idea of Star Wars being a fantasy, even though people have blasters and it's in space. um, That is such a cool concept and was brand new, um, I would say, uh, in the movie world. Um, I've been recently reading Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis, Hmm. which is his original fantasy trilogy, which takes place in space. And I would say that is one of the first inklings of a uh, fantasy space opera um oh. would be uh, out of the silent planet um but uh star wars was definitely the first to the big screen and chlorians sort of just inserts like a star trek kind of vibe into yeah star wars world um and daniel
0: star wars was never about the science yeah
1: yeah it was never about the science and daniel everything you said about the about six seven eight or seven, eight, nine. Sorry. Yeah. Um, or seven and eight at this point mm. um, was true, and was a good point, um, and I would do that as well. But I thought I would touch on something else, and I think Mitachlorians is
0: <clears throat> it's gotta go. Bye bye. Honestly, I'd agree with that. Uh, I definitely agree with that. The prequels, yeah. I believe, now that our generation is becoming older, uh, they're looked at more favorably, but. At the same time, there there really is a lot of stuff there that should be changed. I feel, or or could have been better if it had changed. And just because the prequels are looked highly on now, doesn't mean they're less uh, that they aren't perfect. Or yeah, you know what I'm trying to say.
1: I mean, the original trilogy trilogy isn't perfect. There's some there's some writing. Oh yeah, there's some writing things and some acting things that are just. Real bad. I want to go to Toshi's station endearing. to pick up
0: some power converters. And <laughs> brew. I could, I could Uncle smell Owen. stench
1: from a mile away, <laughs> Vader. Anyway. Anyway. It's It, it was endearing, though. Yes. It was endearing. I'm nostalgia blind, though. Yes. I'm not nostalgia blind to
0: the prequels. I did not grow up on those. Uh, we were a 4, 5, and 6 VHS family only. I can just imagine as they're trying to seduce you in the new trilogy with all the nostalgia stuff, you just rip off your glass and say, They don't work on me. <laughs> no I'm going to start playing on my Nintendo DS instead of watching this. My PlayStation Portable.
1: we we going to play The Force Unleashed because that's the only true Star Wars franchise. <laughs> okay.
0: We're letting our, our
1: age show a little bit. Um, <laughs> we are kind of old, huh? So well. there is
0: a second component to this question, which is, and I'll, I'll read this question this time, James. Uh, if you had to choose one Star Wars episode to travel back in time and write direct, which would it be and why? Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different, because at least in this point in time, Rise of Skywalker has not yet come out, and currently The Last Jedi is the most recent one. Last <gasps> Jedi has gotten a lot of backlash, a lot of conversation, um, so you gonna I'm going to say gonna, episode 8 no what I'm going to say is let's make that an invalid answer because honestly I was going to say episode oh, 8 okay. but everyone's been saying that I, I want to okay. add something new to the conversation so excluding The Last Jedi sorry Christina we're kind of winging at this point but excluding The Last Jedi you can't touch that uh, okay. which Star Wars episode would you travel back in time and write direct
1: Uh, <clears throat> I would do 6
0: Six. Okay. Yeah.
1: I think it could have been better. Five is my favorite always and forever. Um, So uh, I always feel like six, though it's a great movie is always a bit of a step down. Uh, If it's, if it's even only just like half of a step down from episode five. Um, And uh, truth be told, Christina, I couldn't tell you, what i would change um about it exactly but if i'm writing and directing this movie um it would be from the ground up so uh maybe i would just hit it hit at it from a different angle i don't know
0: that's eh, true who knows i feel you could build up palps a lot more in episode six and make him Ooh, a true, lot true. more obviously of a big bad um i don't know because i feel that in episode four the big bad was the Death Star. In episode five, the big bad was Darth Vader. And in episode yeah. six, especially since Darth Vader, I assume you'll still have him be redeemed at the end. I don't know if... I don't know what you are Oh, would yeah, change. yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, That's one of the best parts so of six. Assuming, assuming that, I feel that um, probably leaving him as a supporting character instead of having Palpatine, having Sidious be the real big bad and making him more on yeah. the forefront of things, I feel that would be a lot more effective.
1: Now, Daniel, if, if I may... I would like to just splice one part of the movie and keep that unedited piece in my movie at I the think exact same time stamp.
0: I mean, if you're traveling back in time, then I'm sure you have that power. Okay, in that case, I
1: would like to take the um, the added-on part from George Lucas. He added on in the 90s where it shows Gungans going, We saw free! That's the only part I want to keep. And I'm going to put it at the exact same... St- <laughs> I can I can hear
0: the cries of a thousand souls <laughs> screaming for mercy. I'm going
1: to keep that at the exact same timestamp, stamp so even if it's an inappropriate time and I'm not even like done with the movie or it's like halfway through the credits because the movie's already done Luke, um, Luke's like mourning it's still over
0: Darth Vader's dead body and then we suffer
1: <laughs> Yes, yes <laughs> because that's the best, most salvageable part of episode 6 apparently <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> there was a death.
0: And I can hardly say that with a straight
1: face.
0: Death of my respect for James Newton forevermore, tarnished.
1: Okay, Daniel, um, it's
0: your turn. What, <clears>
1: what <throat> would you do?
0: Honestly, James, I would, I would redo episode two. Ooh. Because I think, in my personal opinion, episode two is a worse Star Wars movie than episode one.
1: Episode 1
0: has a few good moments, right? Uh, Even if you've seen the movie a billion times before, there's still that moment that's coming up where you're like, okay, it's coming up. So I'm not going to, like, fast forward through this scene. I'm not going to press skip or anything like that. There's, like, political intrigue in 1, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like,
1: 1 and 3 have
0: that intrigue thing. Right. And not all of 2 is bad, which I'll get to. But in Episode 1, you have the opening scene of negotiations. There's violence. There's some action. That's fun, right? And then you have the pod race scene, which is really good, actually. I, I enjoy. Oh, I the, love pod racing. Uh, pod racing looked awesome. I said to myself, "Man, I'm not a sports guy, but if I was in Star Wars, gosh darn it, that would be my sport." Um, but episode two, there's only a few things I like about it. One is the showcase of Yoda's incredible combat ability at the very end. Uh, number two is the Ocean arena fight sequence when all the Jedi come and save. Obi-Wan, Anakin, Padme, and three would be the entire Obi-Wan arc in the first part of the movie. I love that mystery, that world building where it's just Obi-Wan and he's on this adventure. Uh, Yeah. But just like The Last Jedi, two of our characters go on a long adventure that really doesn't... (laughs) I don't like following. Anakin and Padme watch them frolic with big butted animals. Watch Anakin lift a CG pair over to Padme, and she cuts it. No, he cuts it, and then she oh, no. eats it. And then watch as they exchange a lot of dialogue. <laughs> That's really bad. Um, I feel George it's Lucas... It's the true heart of the franchise. I feel like George Lucas thought he was more romantic than he probably was in his writing. I'm not saying was as a person. George... I think you can be pretty darn romantic. Not that I would know. This sounds very suggestive. I'm so sorry. George, nothing is your character. I just think mm-hmm. as a writer, you struggle romantically with making it believable and making it actually romantic. Um, there's a robot chicken episode you can find on YouTube where Padme is talking about wanting to stay as a senator. That's when Anakin is talking to her by a fireplace, and she starts like ripping off pieces of her clothing while saying... I don't want to be in a romantic relationship with you. I like doing senatorial stuff. And I think it is it is a funny way to poke fun at the very mixed messages and the nonsensical way that the episode goes about. It. So what would I do instead? There's a lot there. A lot of people have talked about. One thing I would try to do is first consult my writing team and see if there's a way we can bring Darth Maul back into the fray. I think it would be interesting to bring back uh, a phantom from Obi-Wan's past, but have Anakin be the one to deal with it. Um, Dealing with juggling that righteous anger versus the Jedi way of not killing and not succumbing to the dark side. Well, not killing. They kill a lot of droids. I don't know. The point is, uh, there there could be that. Um, And perhaps playing on this imminent war... Uh, Because I feel the Clone Wars kind of comes out of nowhere, where it's like, oh, there was this order to build a clone army, and it's never really said outright there's a war coming. It's just, oh, there's an army that's been illegally ordered, or at least ordered behind the back of everyone that is being made. Why? Um, So, all right. I'm Daniel, and this is James, and you've been listening to our podcast, Casually Critical. If you think that we want your submissions that you haven't sent us yet, then you're definitely Reich. Have a wonderful day.